listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour, or as in last week's case, your thrice weekly automotive happy hour <laughs> had a lot of stuff going on we had that uh had that trip to mecham kansas city oh, so fun gotta thank david morton again for yes. that. thank you sir and we also had two fantastic guests on we had rodney kimmerer talking about tales from the garage uh-huh. and rodney thanks for the copy of the book it was a cool book too. and we also had case and vogel on from uh from broad arrow group talking about all of the uh, George Foreman cars, all the cars in the George Foreman collection that That's have been selling. George Foreman's grills. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> hey, remember when we discussed two of the cars, there was the Volkswagen that had the leopard the, flames on the front. And the earring on the back the earring spoiler. And the in the back. And then there was the, there was another It was uh, a prowler, car. wasn't it? Yeah, there was a prowler that had the leopard flames on the front. Yeah. One of his choppers had leopard flames on the tank. And I hadn't caught it before, but I saw it over the weekend. And I thought, (laughs) would you and Rodman cut some kind of a deal or something? Uh, You gave him 37 Foreman grills and he gave you three weird looking vehicles. You know, I just think that's awesome. All he needs is a bunch of really voluptuous Playboy playmates strolling around him. And you know what? Golden. You don't need cars for that. But they would make it look great with all the flaming cheese. But I'm never, ever getting over the piercing in the little spoiler on the VW. That was hilarious. That was a lot. That takes an absolutely fantastic sense of humor. And that's because he bought it from Dennis Rodman, right? Yeah, well. If I remember the story right. Rodman has a sense of humor, so that was pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, As you can hear, I am Brett Hatfield. I'm here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. And we are coming to you from the Driven Radio Studios. How goes the car search, pal? Oh, it slowed down a bit. You know, I um. You find anything good this week? Well, I got ready to. Uh, this is the funny thing. This is how I work, and I, th- I think it's a mental problem with me, because I um. Uh, you have mental problems. Shh, tell no one. <laughs> I just broadcast it to the world. Yeah, they already um, know. Yeah, they're not there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the only knows. one who didn't. The um, I I went to finally. I'm like, I want this done. I want it done. And I got hold of these two 62 Chryslers. I was ready to make an offer on. Uh-huh. And yep, too late. So, but they just, were still listed, which just torqued re- me off. Just but, to review. We've <laughs> oh, been God. doing this show for uh, five I, and a half years. Okay. Yeah. You've been looking for a Mopar for 22 <laughs> <laughs> not ju- not just, just twist with the me. knife just yeah, keep just, twisting yeah thanks so, tiger pretty soon i'll start have you started looking at anything <laughs> aside from cars uh actually yeah you know um i got rid of those two motorcycles that i had because mm-hmm. uh uh at the time it was just like i i'm i can't do this and once i got over that um i kind of i would like a little you know little one to tool around i think i was yeah. I was out of my league, to be quite honest. When I got that fifteen hundred, that's two thousand four Suzuki. A big bike. That thing, that thing was telling me that you you don't have the skills yet. That's Tiger. a big bike, and there's a lot there. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God, there was, and it looked hella cool. But yeah, that was beyond me. Take it from a guy who's had fifteen motorcycles. <laughs> so I stepped back, <laughs> and now I'm like, you know what? When I went to my course and and got my certification, the bikes weren't big, but they were fun. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, 500, 600 CC. And I'm a big boy, but that's enough to get me around because I'm not out to win any uh, speed records or anything like that. It is. I know where I am. CCs is so much fun. <laughs> And then we start talking about it. Yeah. Cubic inches or 96 cubic inches. There's a couple of 650s out there locally that I'm, I'm real interested in. There's one uh, in DeSoto that I, I really want to go take a look at. Cool. And you want me to buy that Nighthawk. No, uh, I, I, there's an 83 Nighthawk 650 that he's found on here. And anybody who knows motorcycles, even a little bit, will tell you that Nighthawks are absolutely gold. They're bulletproof. They're indestructible. There's lots of them out there with 100 or 150,000 miles oh, on Jesus. them. They run forever. They're like, they're the two-wheel equivalent of a cockroach. You can't kill them. <laughs> and they run forever. And I think I think you would be, you. it would behoove you greatly to at least go and give it a good look yeah. under serious consideration. And what's nice is it's local. 
Because there's so many fun things. Like one well, one of the problems with going to look at those other cars, there was a black '62 Chrysler uh, Newport. That was the one with the side pipes, said Mortish on the back. Yeah, it was it Wichita Falls, Texas? Yeah. And I'm just like, God Almighty, that's a long way to drive. Yeah. And the other one that I was looking at was in uh, it, uh, just a little west of Denver, and uh, I would have paid to get them transported. Well, and you, but you it just at, you know, uh, the Thunderbirds in Denver, and you've looked at stuff out of Texas. Well, and Minnesota, there was that super no, super nice guy with the uh, f- 55 DeSoto that I was almost there with, but then he uh, he he found the uh, the holes. Yeah. And uh, and took good pictures of well, them, and, and you, that helped me decide. You drove all the way to St. Louis to look at the uh, the yellow. Oh, the sixty. Now that one that one's kind of a different story. It had some issues, and it was worth the money that he wanted me to pay yeah, for. And it. he was willing to cut you a screaming deal. But Magoo is Magoo. If you get there and yeah. it doesn't trip your trigger, it's yeah. not worth doing. And I'm not a, I'm not a flipper. I not yet anyway. No. Uh, well, neither am I. But I got a garage that makes me look like it. <laughs> uh, at, at any rate. Keep the motorcycle search going. You know yeah. I'm an enabler. I've got enough motorcycle gear. Well, you I'll, gave me that that uh, buttload of gear, and I still have the jacket that I bought, mm-hmm. my helmet, my gloves. I've got all my voodoo. Yeah. I just needed to get my butt Oh, anything doing. I can do to grease the wheels. <laughs> and, and again, uh, either before Petrol or enabler. after. You, you bet your ass. Either before or after you get another motorcycle. As soon as the weather's decent, I want you to ride that super glide. It's going to change the way you feel about it. Dude, Harley's. you've got some beautiful bikes out there. I, I promise you that super that thing, I'm impressed every time I ride it. Nice. So uh, there have been a few changes to the stable here at the Driven Radio World headquarters this week. The little red Mercedes found a new home, and so, so did the 100th anniversary Harley F-150, the 2003 um, that found a new home this week, but a 14,000 mile 2002 Harley edition F-150 followed me home and I started to feed it and now it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. It, in fact, it's not in the driveway right now. It's not that I want to do that, but it, you know, I felt sorry. So. Well, you know, you, you, you feed something, you own it. Truth. And, uh, I, it's down at our good friend, Daryl Ossipik shop, Ossipik Automotive in, uh, Merriam, Kansas. He'll take care of you. 913-831-1336. Nice. Or 3613. Anyway, uh. <laughs> If you get a chance, if you're local and you need something fixed, you need it done right and reasonably. Daryl is your man, and he keeps all my stuff running. And he's just given that truck a once over because it is 21 years old, but it has 14,000 miles on it. And I will say this: I had a brief moment to stick my foot in it the other day, and botchy balls, that thing moves. <laughs> I really like that pickup. <laughs> There's some. There's some good giddy up in that thing. Well, I remember when you uh, let me drive that other one down to the great car show, and you're like, hey, put, put your foot in it. And I did, and I'm like, oh, God almighty. Yeah, that thing moved well. This one moves better. Humana, humana. Yeah, no kidding. One other change that happened this week. I am now officially GM Authority's automotive historian. Sexy. How about that, kids? That's going to get you into all the good bars uh, and, and it just goes to show that if you write enough articles, they will let you write even more articles. Although now they're going to be making up the Intel pages for GM Authority. But (laughs) I want to thank my editor, Mike, for uh, making that happen and giving me the opportunity. Really enjoy working for those people. And this is closer to what I want to do. I I want to be paid to be a geek. Yeah. There's a, a classic quote, which I can never remember offhand. Uh, but it basically it says the goal in life is to take everything that made you weird as a kid mm-hmm. and get people to pay you for it when you're an adult. Hot damn. <laughs> and that is, uh, that I, that is my golden that is, goal. That in is life. exactly where we are. And, uh, of course I'm starting out writing Intel pages on what? Uh, a, a Commodore 64. No, no. <laughs> No, I am not. I have no clue. You I really it. don't. I'm starting where my heart is, baby, starting with Corvettes. Oh, look at you. Yeah, uh, starting with Corvettes and Corvette history. And the circle Wait. is complete. Yeah, I get to do what I want. <laughs> Thank you, Arnold. Thank you, Arnold. And uh, this is a fantabulous segue. Maybe this gentleman can help me out. Dr. Mark Davis is our special guest this week. He's a famed Corvette collector who knew he was going to be a Corvette guy from a very early age, pointing them out to his mother when he was just five years old. He began saving money when he was 10 years old to be able to buy his first Corvette at 16 years old. He didn't quite make it at 16, but he did at 17 
wound up getting himself a red over black L46 four-speed 69 convertible. That would be his first step in the good doctor's lifelong Corvette journey, during which he has become one of the Corvette community's most astute collectors. He insists that all of his cars are the best documented, original, unrestored examples. Three of his spectacularly preserved examples are headed to Meekum's Kissimmee auction just next month. Dr. Mark, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you guys having me. And hello, Mark. Hello. Uh, I just want, yeah, I just want to say first and foremost, I, I thank you guys for all that you do for us automotive enthusiasts out here. And uh, it, it's quite an honor to be on your show. I also want to add, uh, I'm a big fan of GM Authority. So, so, Brett, that's awesome that you are now an official historian for them. That's that's great. Well, you know, if you write 500 articles for somebody, they might let you try your hand at something, uh, I think he knows something. a little more involved. Um, Mark, the stuff that I've seen from your collection and the stuff that's heading to Kissimmee is spectacular. And take it from a diehard Corvette head. I've had seven of them. I had a Corvette dealership, but I just lost my butt at it because I fell in love with every piece of inventory we ever got. <laughs> that was a buyer ship, though, wasn't a dealership. <laughs> <laughs> you should have. You should have. <laughs> uh, wanting a Corvette when you're a kid is not terribly unique, uh, but starting to work and save for one at 10 years old really is. Um, that's I think that shows uh, amazing tenacity and determination. How did your parents respond when you told them I'm saving for a Corvette? Well, honestly, uh, I was truly blessed to have a couple great parents who, who were always very supportive of, of my goals and dreams early on. And, uh, and going back to my father, he was, he was one of the finest businessmen I've ever known. And now that, you know, I'm older in life and been around a lot of business Looking back, he was uh, he was a very good businessman. So he he taught me well, and was always very supportive of uh, of my goals. Kind of funny. The older we get, how how smart we figure out our parents were. <laughs> yeah, and, and going back to you know buying and selling Corvettes, I learned a long time ago that I couldn't make money doing that either, because like you, I fell in love with them uh, with every one of them. So it was hard to to turn loose, but uh, I understand your position there. Oh yeah. Um, I've, I'm much, much better off uh, writing about them than trying to trade them. <laughs> uh, I, I do much better that way. Uh, what kind of jobs did you start out doing to try and save for those? Well, um, I think the site, well, let me back up. When I was nine years old, I had a plan to be able to start working when I was 10 and and that my father said well when you reach 10 that summer I'll teach you how to use a lawnmower and you go out and cut as much grass as you can well you, you slacker wait until you were 10 years old <laughs> well I, I guess he didn't trust me with the blades but anyway I, I kind of lined up some jobs that summer that I turned 10 and was cutting all goodness five or six yards wow uh, and then I um uh, I got a job on the other days working for a gentleman that had some horses and a couple barns. And uh, I did chores for him around the barn, cleaned out a mini stalls and, um, and, and did that for a couple years. And then, then I moved up and got a real job when I was 13. Um, and when I say a real job, I mean, I actually punched a clock and, and, uh, you know, they withheld Social Security and income taxes. How, how mad were you the first time you saw them withhold anything out of your check? <laughs> that that really hurt. <laughs> and it still does today. Yeah, it never stopped. <laughs> yeah. Got that first check, you think, you sons of bitches? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but going back in those days, you could get an actual real job, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Um, if your parents signed a work release, uh, you could do that before you were 16. So my parents were all supportive of that. So I got a real job at a local grocery store where I was you know, making a uh, dollar 35 an hour and uh, thought I was living in tall cotton. Wow. So, uh, so anyway, I say worked hard, volunteered to work as much as I possibly could and saved everything I possibly could. And, uh, and as as you said in your intro, my goal was to be able to 
saved for six or seven years. And, and when I turned 16 and got my driver's license, buy that first used Corvette. Um, I didn't quite make it, as you said, but by the time I was 17, I bought the 1969 that you described earlier. And, and, uh, and here we are 51 years later. Well, tell us about that car. It, you know, I gave it a quick once over, but uh, not the way somebody who owned it and loved it would describe it. Well, you know, that car was probably, going back to being blessed, that car was one of the best Corvettes I probably could have bought for my first Corvette because it was the, you know, the high compressions, 350, 350 L46 with a four-speed manual transmission and a 370 gear. And that combination was just a perfect, it still to this day is a perfect driving combination. Uh, and so, so, you know, working all those years and saving all my money, and then you finally get the Corvette of your dreams, a U69 with that combination, it, you know, I was just, beside myself and spent as much time with that car as I could learned every aspect of driving it, how to handle it. I even, uh, worked for uh, some guys and had a little driving school and they let me slide in there and gave me a few free lessons. So I really learned that car and, and, uh, that proved to just, just really stoke that fire and that passion that I had for, for Corvette. And it proved to me too, that, a Corvette was everything that they had said it was, and and then some. So that's uh, it, it. Just was a great first Corvette. Do you remember how much you gave for it? I, I do remember it very well because the a couple in town had bought it new, and at that point this was 1972, so the car was three or four years old, and um, this was a young couple who had a he had a stable job and. His wife had just gotten pregnant. Well, you know the story. Oh, boy. Uh, they had to get rid of the Corvette. Yep. So, so I had laid my eyes on it for a couple of years, and finally, uh, you know, they put it up for sale at the perfect time for me. And they were—I think he was wanting thirty-two hundred dollars. Wow. And I got him down to three thousand because I, I put the poor little kid's story on him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and then I went to count my money, and I only had $2,900. Oh, man. Oh. So he says, well, I'll tell you what. It's a two-top convertible. I'll keep the hard top. And then when you come up with the – you give me the $2,900. When you come up with the other 100 come back, and you can have the hard top. And I shook his hand and said, we've got a deal. (laughs) So I paid $2,900 and went back all three, couple months, three months later and gave him $100 and got the hard top. Wow, that's fantastic. That's all right. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I didn't think about this when I was uh, coming up with interview questions, but I'm thinking about it now. How did you insure that? An insurance company is going to look at a 17-year-old with a – you know, a, a Corvette convertible and say, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're right. Back in those days, the insurance was usually more than the car payments for, for most young kids, young, young guys. Um, but they're going back to my father again. Um, he being the businessman, he was, he said, well, if you work hard and save enough to buy a Corvette, I, I will pay for the insurance. So that just gave me even more incentive to to reach my goal. So going back to your question, thank goodness for him because he paid the insurance and uh, and I paid for the car. That's fantastic. Nice. How many Corvettes have you owned since that first one? Well, um, <laughs> my wife and I have tried our best to go back and count, and we, w- we wish we'd kept better track of how many, but I'm – I think we're right at 152 to 155. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Okay. How many do you still have? Uh, right now, currently, I have 13. Good God. <laughs> Which <Man>. were, <laughs> but I still, you're in the 140s up, to 150s of rotating them through. Wow. I thought, Good God. I, I thought having <laughs> seven was a big deal. That's uh, <laughs> and, and that's been spread over time. Although I still have the first one I ever got. Um, cool. Wow. Uh, over 150. Uh, Jay, Christmas. 
I'd say, do you have a favorite? But I guess it would be, do you have favorites? What are some of your favorites out of the out of the buck and a half? Oh goodness! Well, I know you're passionately in love with the 1960, so I got to say, a 1960 ranks high on my list as well. Um, but going back to your question, so many people will come in my what I call my Corvette barn, um, <laughs> and you know they will often say, "Well, what's your favorite?" Corvette. And, you know, I say, well, that's the problem. <laughs> They're all my favorite. Or they wouldn't <laughs> be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have my favorite years. Like I love 58 through 60s twos. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I love the C2s, all C2s, um, C3s. And then, of course, I've got to have a new one and uh, have had a new, been blessed enough to have a new one in my life since the 80s. So I try to always keep a, a new one. Uh, and have been very fond of Z06s and ZR1s, so I always have to have one of those around as well. All the Corvettes I've had, uh, I've loved each of them for a different reason. Uh, the red and white 60 was a gift from my dad, and I also think that's one of the most elegant Corvettes they ever made. I think it's beautiful. Um, not much for handling, not much for braking. In fact, <laughs> you know this as well as I do. Four-wheel drums. A panic stop uh, will will pucker everything on you. Yes, uh, <laughs> tightens your pores. Oh yeah, uh, the the sixty five. Um, it's it's an L seventy nine. It's a three twenty seven three fifty horse. It's got knockoffs and side pipes and you know four speed and it just the car is rowdy even when you're not going that fast. And you, you know how much fun those things are. So every, oh, yeah. every one of mine I've loved for a different reason. So if you say they're all your favorites, I get it. I, I get, you get it? I get Good. that. It's, each one of them has a different reason to be a favorite, and I understand that. So I won't try to pin you down on it too hard. Uh, the threshold for the cars you collect is quite high well exceeding that of of most other Corvette collectors, certainly exceeding that of my Corvettes. Every one of mine's has got flaws in it, but that's okay. That's okay. I like them that way. But what has pushed you to seek out these magnificently preserved examples? Well, early on, uh, I was just happy to have a Corvette and, and own one. And then as you know, I began my professional career, and began to accumulate one or two. I, I, uh, I, I enjoyed practically anything, really. I mean, as long as it was a Corvette. And, and I even went and restored uh, two or three Corvettes over the day. And uh, as time went on, I, I learned, and it was just my feeling that an original car, that you know the saying, they're only original once. Yeah. And that is so true because – no matter how good I restored a Corvette or how good someone else restored a Corvette, to me, just my taste, it just wasn't like an original car. And um, so I just all, from that point on, I just kind of shifted and went more to the originality. And, and then it kind of became an obsession to find the best all original cars I could find. And, um, and then that just kind of, the, my criteria just kept getting higher and higher, as you said uh, early, early on. It just, I just wanted the best all original examples I could find. And by this time, C1s and C2s were 20, 25 years old, and they were getting all original pristine examples were getting harder and harder to find, which just made the challenge that much more exciting. So, um it kind of went from there towards the survivor end of it. I mean, I like survivors way back before survivor was even a word thrown around in the car. It was just my, my taste. And, uh, and then I got a couple cars that were pretty unbelievable low mile original cars, uh, especially like the McNamara Corvette. I sold at Meekin in 2014, which was the lowest mile 1967 Corvette known to exist. And, and that kind of put me on people's radar. And from that point on, it, it was like the low mile 
I became known as the low mile original guy. And, and some of those cars kind of found me because people knew that that's what I really enjoyed okay. and liked. And, and they were calling me with their cars. So that, that well, was that's convenient. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> that's certainly helpful. It's, <laughs> it's tough to believe a Corvette like your 1962 exists. Uh, please tell us about it. How and where did you find it? How long have you had it? How many miles are on? Just all, all the cool stuff about that car. That car is everything that it is said to be. And if you if your listeners look on Meekum's website and read the description and look at all the pictures, everything on there is true. I've written it all myself. And uh, the car is is really it really is unbelievable, as you said, Brett. Um, it has 12,014 miles on it. Original Every, miles. Original documented miles, only 12,014. And um, it, it, everything on the car is original with the exception of the battery. And I mean everything, even the spark plugs, the belts, the, the, uh, even the tires that are with the car that, were the original tires and they still have air in them from 1962. So it's, it really is an unbelievable five. And just like a lot of very special and unbelievable cars that I'm sure you guys have seen and, and have told stories about the, the more special the cars, it seems like the more special the story. And I found that to be true all so often. Um, and the story on this car uh, is that it was bought by a gentleman who who knew that they were coming out with the second generation Corvette and didn't particularly care for it. So he hurried to order one of the last of the first generation Corvettes and specifically ordered this car, uh, bought it new at Logan Chevrolet in Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and he... Um, at the time, he had just gotten a stable job. He was young, had two children, a little boy and a little girl. His little boy was two. And, um, you know, as the C2 came out, he, he kind of babied and pampered this car and didn't put very many miles on it with the uh, goal of one day giving it to his only son. And uh, he thought that he would, of course, wait until his son was of age and mature enough to gift it to him. And uh, he went on to pamper and baby and try make every attempt to try to preserve this car to the best of human ability so that his son would have an almost like new 1962 Corvette when he gave it to him. Well, to shorten the story, uh, his son was tragically killed at the age of 33 about when this gentleman was a, almost felt like he was ready to give the car to him. So that devastated the original owner. He, um, at that point, as, as you and I, as we would all know and expect, it, it just uh, it threw his life, threw a wrench in his engine, so to speak, and he was devastated. And, yeah. and uh, he went on to uh, eventually, I think two or three years later, he sold it to his doctor. And his doctor uh, went on to have a judge at Bloomington Gold, and I happened to spot this car at Bloomington Gold in St. Charles, Illinois, in 2010. And I knew immediately when I saw it. Wait, this, a, wait this, a second, doctor. You yeah. And, you and I were both there. <laughs> really? Yeah my, six, yeah, my 60 was part of the gold collection. It was sitting on that green with the other 60 Corvettes. We were both at that hotel. No kidding. I was there too, obviously. Cool. So anyway, I, if you remember, they would have the survivor field, and survivor judging was usually on that one specific day, I think Sunday. And uh, I'd always go to that survivor field, and I spotted this car. And as soon as I saw it, I, I thought, no way, you know. Going back to the, what you said earlier about it being unbelievable, yeah. I, I thought, I thought, no way. <laughs> and yes, way it was. So I, <laughs> I had to track down the owner, and I did. I befriended him, and uh, 
you know, literally gave him my card and said, if you ever go to sell this car, please call me. Uh, funny thing is nine years later, I hadn't spoken to him in nine years hardly. Wow, and he still uh, had your card. Nine years later, he still had my card. I was on my farm tractor, bush hogging my pasture, and my phone rings, and it's him. And he said, this is Dr. Steve Campbell. I'm ready to sell you this car. Oh. And I, I, just, I immediately said, uh, wow, uh, let's talk. So we proceeded to talk and, you know, several negotiations. And and uh, and what he told me was, and, and not to toot my own horn, but he, he knew from talking to other NCRS judges and Bloomington Gold judges that I had a passion for low mile original cars and and he knew my reputation of how I took care of them so he he elected to sell it to me when he had other buyers lined up to buy it honestly but he knew how I was going to take care of the car so here we are and uh and he's excited to see what's going to happen with this car at Meekum as well nice. okay tell everybody what color it is and it's it was kind of unusually specced uh, if you could discuss that a little bit, um, tell us what makes the car unique aside from sure. the miles and the condition. Well, for one thing, it's probably the ultimate color combination, which I know you love. It's red, red. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's just a beautiful combination. It's a 1962 red, red with 327, 340 horsepower, four speed, 370 gear in the rear. And uh, as I said, hard top only. And so that's the that's the options with white walls. Basically, that's it. And it is beyond mint. Uh, so much so that it has been used as an NCRS training aid. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, all three of these cars, Brett, have been used to train literally the top Corvette judges in the world. Uh, the 67, we'll talk about how it's been used for that purpose uh, a little bit later. But yes, this car, too, has been used at national uh, NCRS training uh, sessions to train their top judges for both Bloomington Gold and the National Corvette Restore Society. So now we are up to that 67 uh, 427 coupe. Again, stunningly original uh, tell us about the car, uh, how it's equipped, and the story behind it. How did you find it? Sure. Uh, first of all, the car is a, is a beautiful 1967 Corvette Coupe, 427, 390, silver, black interior, four-speed, 370 gear in the rear also. Uh, and it has only 32,000 miles. Uh, and as far as... Uh, the originality car, it's believed to be the best all original 1967 Corvette in existence. And uh, I say that not coming from myself, because I think that as well, but that's what I've been told. And, and a lot of judges say, you know, silver didn't, silver cars or silver cars that were painted uh, with lacquer paint on fiberglass didn't hold up as well as some other colors did and a lot of the um, Corvette experts have told me that that it's rare to see a silver car in this good of condition both this 67 and the 69 and uh, the fact that it's held up as well as it has it's believed to be the best 1967 silver Corvette in existence uh, as far as originality is concerned and if I can sum it all up this this is a mouthful but this ought to tell your audience how good this car is. It's the only all original 1967 Corvette to have ever won the all time preservation award from the historical vehicle association of America, the only one in the world. So that tells you how good and pristine original this car is. Um, getting back to the other part of your question, um, this car, ironically enough, was bought as a demo um, back in 1967 by the owner of Hauser Chevrolet in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Wait a second. And he, who, yeah. <laughs> who, who buys a 427 coupe as a demo? Well, 
Well, Mr. Hauser knew that, you know, that they were coming out with the third generation Corvette in 1968. So he bought this car. Uh, it was in the middle of production to, to use as these demo to promote the dealership. Now I say that tongue in cheek because he basically only put 300 miles on it and kept it in his showroom to draw people in, which would, would work. But, but anyway, he, um, he owned it and kept it on his showroom for a while, and then he sold it to a gentleman who happened to be a postal worker, a mail carrier. And um, that gentleman kept it in climate control and pampered and babied it all this life. Um, he had come back from Vietnam and got a good job as a postal worker. And um, so he was blessed or just felt like He'd had the Carvey's dream, so he babied and pampered it for the rest of its life until 2005. And um, at that point, John Ballard, who you probably know from the automotive world, uh, he's an NCRS regional director and and judge, long-term judge. He bought it from the original owner, and then I obviously have uh, gone on to purchase it from him. But Mr. Ballard, and, and this speaks for the car itself too, Mr. Ballard is, he's retired from the automotive paint industry. And he literally used to go to the Corvette plant in St. Louis, Missouri back in the day. And today he's considered one of the top automotive paint experts in the world. He's, uh, as I said, a regional director for the NCRS and, and a judge. And he also is a judge for various concours, d'elegance and car shows all over the United States and Canada. So um, the fact that he owned this car meant a lot to me as well. When he, when you say he's one of the top Corvette paint experts in the world, well, yeah. if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that says a lot. Uh, one of yeah. the comments that's made about the 67 is if you buy this, you need to make extra space for the awards, the documentation, <laughs> all of the stuff that goes along with this. Tell us about some of the awards it's won and, and the extensive documentation that goes with it. If it's enough to make extra room for, it's certainly worth discussing. Yes. Have you have you gone on Meekum's site and looked at the establishing shots on these three cars, oh, showing all the awards they have with them? Mark, I wrote all three of these cars up for GM Authority, so yes. <laughs> okay, well, then you that's right. You did, and you know. Those those establishment shots I actually did myself, and I wanted people to see that number one, how many awards they have, and number two, they all are the awards are as pristine as the car, and they come with the cars. Um, and speaking of awards, all three of these have basically won every award a Corvette can win in the Corvette world, along with various Concours d'Elegance and and other. Um, high-end show awards um but yeah that all those awards come with the car they're immaculate and then i am i'm very very meticulous obviously and i've always been that way and i'm very meticulous about the documentation and how the awards and documentation are presented so all of that is all chronologically arranged and very easy to go through but it is lengthy, of course, but it is all very well displayed for the new owner on each car. When you take that out for a drive, just to make sure all the fluids are in the right places, are you crapping Tiffany cufflinks until you get it back in the garage? <laughs> I mean, I cannot even well, imagine pulling that out near another car within 100 yards. No, no, not cufflinks. Pink <laughs> Twinkies. Pink <laughs> Twinkies. <laughs> I think you made the comment earlier that everything on you puckers. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's stop pucker time. Got it. Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. And, and you know, I've, I've had so many over the years and, and have learned to how to handle and drive them. So I, everybody asked me that, aren't you a nervous wreck when you take one of these out? And I said, well, yeah, I am. But, uh, but, you know, I've just done it so much that I just have confidence in doing it. And I'm very careful about it and uh, still very nervous, of course. But well, yeah, it's but, not uh, your driving that I'm worried about. It's the other jack legs on the road who are on their phone at the time. They don't see exactly. this amazing vehicle in front of them. 
You're no, brave I'm, or stupid. I, I'm too. I'm too busy <laughs> checking Facebook. Ah, oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> Looking or for Instagram. <laughs> well, one one good thing, Mark, is we live on a farm in in rural upstate South Carolina. So I've got some great driving roads, and we call them Corvette roads. But nice. Uh, I, I've got like a five or. 10 mile, I can do a five mile or 10 mile course where there's very little traffic and the roads are good and the scenery's great. So that's kind of like my uh, get out and warm them up and exercise them course. Other thing I want to tell you too about, especially to potential bidders or someone that maybe is looking to own one of my cars is I am adamant about how they are exercised and how much they're exercised. Um, as you said in your intro, I'm a retired doctor. I'm actually a retired chiropractic physician. And, and um, you know, I, I used to tell patients that, and you know this from your own knee problem, is, is if you don't exercise regular, on a regular basis, you're going to have problems. And that can show itself in various ways. Well, cars are no different. Yeah. Uh, as you guys know, they've got a lot of moving parts that need to be lubricated and exercised and worked. So I'm adamant that these cars get at least brought up to temperature every 30, 40 days and, and maybe go through the brakes up and down the driveway at least to, to, to get them just moving and lubricated. So yeah. that's very important to me as well. That the mechanical preservation is just as important as the cosmetic in my opinion. And, Going back to what you said previously, for those who haven't seen the pictures yet, first of all, you need to go and look at them. But secondly, each one of these cars has such amazing documentation and parts, spares, things that go with them. If you buy one, it's going to take a two-car garage. It <laughs> flat will. So have the space. This brings us up to your 69 Corvette Coupe and Cortez Silver. Where did you find the car? How long have you had it? What makes it special? Uh, just discuss everything about it. I've had the 69 for three years. Um, I bought it from a, a friend who is an NCRS judge, specifically for C3s mainly. And he's another uh, one of those guys that likes low-mile original cars. And um, I, I bought it from him three or four years ago. Um, and it's, as you said, it's Cortez Silver with black interior. It's kind of rare because it's a 350-350 coupe with air conditioning, uh, four-speed manual transmission, and 370 gear. And that 350-350 with air, as you know, Brett, they didn't make a whole lot of those. No, uh, they didn't. That, so that's that makes it kind of rare. And it's also believed to be one of the lowest mile 69 Corvettes in existence. Um, and, and it's it's just pristine. It's beautiful. It's another example of of how uh, silver was preserved. Um, it's going back to the awards. It's won every award a Corvette can win at. Bloomington Gold. It's won every award a Corvette can win at the National Corvette Restore Society. It's won every award a Corvette can win at Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. And it's also won uh, in a preservation class at a Concours d'Elegance. So it's just a beautiful, all original, pristine example of a 1969 Corvette. And you said it's got amazingly low miles. What is What are the miles on that car? 11,052, I think. 11,050. Yeah. Good crap. Wow. wow. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you this story. So when I bought it from the friend who's an NCRS judge, he, he had gotten it up to 10,998 miles. And, uh, I told him, I said, now, Jim, I have got to exercise my cars. And I, I know you didn't want to cross that 11,000 mile barrier, but I've got to. So I had it a few weeks and, and, uh, I, I, I was driving it down the road and here we go. We're crossing over to that 11,000 mile threshold. And I took a picture of the odometer and I said, well, here we go. <laughs> We're getting over it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so these three are all remarkable examples of the first three generations of Corvette. Why sell them now? Well, 
<laughs> that's always the, the million dollar question. Um, it's hard, as you know, and, and I mean, you guys know, it's, you always look back and say, wow, I maybe shouldn't have sold that car. Or I wish I'd never gotten rid of that one. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. I will feel that way on these cars. But part of my passion, as you, as you know, I've had a lot of these cars and I enjoy the, the hunt and finding ultra low mile, all original cars like these three and, um, and pursuing awards and, and showing them. And, uh, and I've got several more that I'm, I have now that I want to pursue those awards. And I've also got a couple more in the pipeline that I'm looking to purchase. So okay. I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's just time to move, move on a little bit. Yeah. Somehow you're uh -huh. going to have to dry your tears over these three with the other 14 that you own. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Here we I'm go. hearing you. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, fortunately, Mark, I got plenty of microfibers. microfibers. I'll be crying. Yeah, yeah you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It, it just makes lube for uh, clay bars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So you've got an idea in mind and maybe you want to share it, maybe you don't, but what are your hopes for the Corvettes, both in sale price and for future owners? Well, I've, uh, I've sworn to Meekum and everyone else that I wouldn't res res uh, reveal my reserve and my wife doesn't even know my reserve. And That's and, fair enough. Yeah, and and you know, money's not everything to me. I've been blessed with as far as that goes. But my main concern, and I don't want to say concern, but my main um, hopefulness is that these cars will find an owner that really appreciates the the true pieces of automotive history that they are, and will continue with the theme of ultimately preserving them because they've been, let's face it, they've been ultra, ultimately preserved for 50 years, give or take. And I just hope that they are continued to be preserved as, as they have been. Well, Mark, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying and I'm here to help you out. If you need some place to store those, <laughs> and make sure they they receive the care they deserve. I've got a fantastic subterranean warehouse that's climate controlled, and I'd, I'd be happy to help you out. Uh, okay, I will definitely give you a call. <laughs> uh, all right, now it's time for the fun question. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Oh my goodness, we could do a whole show on on maybe several <laughs> dumb things. Uh, Oh, goodness. Probably the dumbest thing that I've ever done in a, in a car. I think I was 15 or 16 years old, and we had a local drive-in movie theater that everybody, all the teenagers would frequent. And uh, there was four of us that night that um, we didn't quite have enough money to get in the theater. So my buddy, who was old enough to drive at the time, had a 1971 green Ford Maverick. Oh, and uh, we we agreed that we would split the cost for two to get in the movie, but two of us would have to sneak in in the trunk. Of a maverick. So, <laughs> two of, and I happened to be one of the smaller guys of the four. So oh, yeah, me can, and another. You can <laughs> only do this when you're 15. <laughs> I know, right? Well, yeah, I was all 150 pounds soaking wet at the time. But, <laughs> but so me and uh, my other buddy, who I won't mention his name, we proceeded to get in the trunk and we go into this drive-in movie and um, we, you know, we're, we get in there and the, the, the two guys up front parked the Maverick and, and then they got the bright idea of, let's just leave them in the trunk a little while, see how they like it. <laughs> well, that's when this guy learned the definition of claustrophobia. Oh, <laughs> oh crap. Oh no. So, I, I, I learned at that point that I was claustrophobic and, and uh, proceeded to almost go crazy. And I said, boys, if you don't get us out of this trunk, I'm coming through the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, they let us out of the trunk. But that's probably one of the dumbest things I've ever done in a car. <laughs> well, it's a heck of a way to find out your claustrophobic. Yeah, no doubt. Wasn't <laughs> it, though? <laughs> We've been speaking well, with Dr. Mark Davis about his ultimately preserved Corvettes collection headed to the Mecham Kissimmee auction next month in Florida. Dr. Davis, please tell us where we can find you online and on social media and where people can see those Corvettes. 
Well, I apologize for not being too much up on social media. I'll leave that up to my wife. So you can't see me or find me on social media. And, and also, I have to say, I spend so much time with these cars. And then we also have uh, other, we have horses as well. So I spend oh, a lot man. of time with them. So I'm not on social media that much. But but please tell your listeners to get on Meekum site. Look at these cars. Look at the pictures. There's three or four videos and a couple magazine articles. and 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 just know that everything they read and see is factual and true and uh, and and these cars are very very special pieces of automotive history yeah for anybody who wants to see them go to meekum.com click on the Kissimmee tab look for the ultimately preserved corvettes collection doctor thank you so much for being with us Thank you guys so much for having me. And, and I also want to say thanks to Meekum, uh, Dana, and all of his group up there in Meekumville. To anybody that's thinking about taking a car to an auction or buying a car at an auction or just going and watching, they put on a fabulous event. And they are great people to deal with. And uh, I highly recommend them. And once again, I want to thank you guys, Brett and Mark. I appreciate you greatly having me on, and I've really enjoyed talking to you. So there's 150-odd Corvettes God. over a lifetime. I thought I was a wheel. Not yeah. even close. No, no. Sorry, dude. Not this even is a close. A whole new level. <laughs> oh, my I, God. I, I couldn't carry one of those restoration books. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and 12,000 miles on a 62, 11,000 miles on a 69. I cannot even imagine what the reserve is, and I think it's worth it. Uh, you know, it's going to have to, it, what they're looking for is somebody with deep pockets who will show that love. Yeah, well. you got to show that love. I was born in 69. I got a lot more than 11,000 miles on me. Yeah, you think? Just, <laughs> just a little bit. So, uh, just fantastic stuff. The ultimately preserved Corvettes. Go look it up on Meekum.com. Click on the Kissimmee auction. It'll be under the collections on the left-hand side. Nice. You can't believe, first of all, that there's there's a shot on each of them of the car sitting in front of all the awards and all the paperwork and all the history and everything else. And, oh, my Lord, it takes us another spot in the trailer just to carry all that stuff. I don't even think you could get it in the cars. Yeah, you might not be able to get the pedigree into the trunk. Yeah, that's no kidding, man. So, Thank you, Dr. Mark, for uh, taking the time to be with us. And thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. If you have a story you'd like to tell or someone you'd like us to interview, please contact me at Brett at DrivenRadioShow.com. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Mm-hmm.